We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast brought to you by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. With me, as always, Justin Mello. And today, for the first time in, what, eight months or so, we get to recap a Titans football game. How's it going, Justin? I mean, you said it. I I love it, right? We finally have a game to go over. The Titans played their first preseason game against Baltimore. Took an L, right? They lost 23-10. Uh, to the best preseason team of all time, right? The Baltimore Ravens, who have now rounded off 21 consecutive preseason victories. I don't even know how that happens. You know, not not to get into that, but I have no idea how that even happens, right? The preseason is such a random time, right? With 90-man rosters and and inconsistency, but Baltimore have found a way to round off 21 straight victories. But that aside, this is not a Baltimore Ravens podcast. I'm really excited to get into this, uh, the Titans performance that we watched. Yeah, you know, I thought the Titans had a chance to end that streak because I thought we were going to see Malik Willis playing with the the fourth quarter team of the Titans and that that would make things exciting for the Titans offense. But it was actually Logan Woodside who was out there for most of the second half. We're going to get into that. The backup quarterback battle. Has Malik Willis shown us enough already to take that quarterback two job. We're going to talk about that and we're going to update basically our thoughts on the roster battles across every position that, that there is competition and that things need to be settled at. It's interesting because we're recording this podcast on Tuesday, August 16th. Titans will be cutting down their roster from 90 players to 85 by 3 p.m. Central Standard Time today. So by the time you're listening to this podcast, that probably will have already happened. So we're not going to touch on the you know, sometimes our podcast more than any other will get into the deep, deep players on the roster because you have such a thorough knowledge of all the UDFAs and everyone coming in. We may not get to those players as much today, but next week we can react off of the roster cuts that have happened. So today we're going to focus more on the guys that we think are making a push to either make the team or get in the rotation. And we are going to start with the quarterback two battle because... Malik Willis really flashed the playmaking ability that made him such a tantalizing prospect, but we also saw a little bit of the inconsistency that maybe caused him to go in the third round. Overall, what did you think of Malik's performance? Yeah, I, I mean, my thoughts are very much in line with a lot of, of what you've heard from, from you know, certain Nashville media. Um, and, and I think, you know, you and I probably kind of helped spearhead that a little bit where, um I won't pretend like the athletic traits didn't get me out of my seat. Like you should still be excited about Malik Willis. That's kind of how I want to start this conversation. It's probably going to sound like we're, 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 we're dogging him a little bit over these next couple of minutes, but I want to make it clear that you should still be very excited about Malik Willis. Um, like I'd be lying if I, if I said I didn't get out of my seat, you know, when he ran for the touchdown on that play, right? right. Like what, a, what, what an incredible, you know, individual effort just the natural ability right that's a play call uh which i'm never a fan of right where you take away half of the field where it it already a condensed area of the field right where it was near the red it was in the red zone within the 10 yard line where he's rolling to his right uh as soon as he gets the snap as soon as he receives the snap and uh he's got some pressure on him what does he do he spins out of a sack reverses course 
runs for a, what I think it was a seven yard touchdown up, up the left yeah. side of the field, totally opposite side of the field from where the play started. So that was super exciting, right? Like yeah. that was just, I think I saw someone on Twitter and I hate to say it, but it did kind of give you shades of Steve McNair a little bit, right? And just that, that natural physical ability and the toughness, right? The spin out of a stack and the athletic ability to make such a play happen. So that was super exciting. On the downside, we obviously saw some of the things, uh, as you said, that made him a third-round quarterback prospect, right? The indecisiveness, holding on to the football. Again, it, it goes back to something I said a couple of weeks ago on this show. Reminded me of what Pat O'Hara said, right? When he was talking about Malik, where he said, making plays outside of structure is not the problem for Malik. It's making plays within structure. That's exactly what we saw, right? When plays broke down, he escaped the pocket, made plays happen with his legs. But at times, he was also escaping the pocket when he didn't need to, right? It felt like his internal clock was a little off. He was trigger uh, trigger shy, um, as I like to say. He escaped some clean pockets, right? So all that right. stuff within structure continues to be the, you know, the portion of what he's struggling with. And what he, and as to be expected, right? Like, this wasn't something that was going to get fixed in three weeks, right? It was something that we knew was the issue for him coming out of Liberty, and he continues to work on it. Uh, I'll wrap up and turn it over to you by saying, by all accounts and purposes, he's, he, he, by all intents and purposes, I should say, he's a coachable kid, right? So he wants to learn. He acknowledged some of his mistakes after this preseason game. So that's a good thing, right? Because the Titans, this staff, they love coaching, and they love coaching players that want to be coached, right? So from that perspective, it's a good marriage, and it remains a good yeah. marriage between Malik Willis and the Titans. So uh, a lot to work on, but he's willing to work on it. Yeah, and it's it's fun to see him being able to just spin out of pressure or escape sacks so so well and so naturally. And that's the kind of ability that you can't teach and you can't coach those instincts and that just like ability to make people miss and the athleticism required. So he's got the stuff down that you can't coach. Now we, they just have to develop him into the areas that they can coach where where he's putting his eyes when he snaps the ball and trusting what he's seeing and letting it rip when he's got open players. And if I'm sure everyone's heard by now, Mike Vrabel pulled Malik Willis after that third quarter play when he didn't throw it to Des Fitzpatrick over the middle, didn't throw it to Traylon Burks deep down the left sideline, instead rolled out to his left and picked up a huge chunk of yards with his legs. But that's not the, the point of the play is when it's there, don't take those yards with your legs, take the yards with your arm. And then when you need to use your legs, use that weapon that you have and Rabel talked about not wanting to you know remove these these abilities that a player has but just to tap into the ability he also has to throw the football all this to say I mean he's the kind of player that and you can see it out there that can elevate your offense because he can make up for a missed assignment in pass protection he can do things that other players can't do that help you stay on schedule when a play does break down and that's what makes him such a tantalizing prospect but he does have to improve these other areas. And the question is really, has he shown enough or will he show enough by the end of this preseason to make the coaching staff believe they don't need Logan Woodside's command of the offense and knowledge of the playbook more than Malik's playmaking ability, even if Malik is missing some of these plays. And I think that Logan Woodside really didn't show that he still belongs as the QB2 on this team in the first preseason game. Now it's only one half of a game with all of the backup players around him. He was under constant pressure because the offensive line that he was playing with really was not good. A bunch of guys who probably won't make it in this league at all. But even so, 
you know, the, the interception to Terry Godwin was a really bad decision and a bad throw too. The one over the middle that got tipped and intercepted, I mean, you can say it's not necessarily his fault, but the pass wasn't really that on target, so, it, so then it is his fault. Um, and that makes me just feel like this Titans team, like all summer long, everyone has been saying, get ready for the Titans to t- keep three quarterbacks for the first time. The only person who has really ever said, to my knowledge, that, hey, you know, I'm not so sure they're going to keep three quarterbacks, is you. So what do you think now that we've seen them both play in a preseason game? And granted, we have two more preseason games to go before we really have any, you know, decision will be made here. But it feels to me like this thing is trending towards the Titans could cut Logan Woodside at roster cutdowns, try to stash him on the practice squad, and if some other team like Arthur Smith in Atlanta decides to scoop him up, then so be it. But what are your thoughts there? I think the race probably got a little bit closer, right, due to how poor Logan Woodside played. Um, I I will say I don't think we're there yet. Maybe we're going there, but we're not there yet. I think Malik probably has to show a bit more with his arm and the decisive and more be more decisive and, and show that command of the offense that he didn't really show with consistency um, in that first preseason game. I think he's got to show more of that for the Titans to fully arrive at that destination. Hey, let's roll with two quarterbacks. Let's roll with Ryan and Malik. So I don't think we're there yet. Maybe we're going there, but I think more has to be shown. And, and, and for, for the record, the following practice um, after that preseason game, uh, I don't know if you'll recall, but the same reports were coming out of practice, unfortunately. They were saying Malik's not throwing the football. He's holding on to it. He's showing hesitancy. So, again, it's not something that's going to be fixed overnight. And right. the following practice, we, it was the same thing, right, that, that, that kind of bit him throughout the game. I'll end this by saying um, I, I do want to touch on, I, you know, I, I've made it known on Twitter, so I won't spend too much time on it. Some of our listeners may have already known, but I, I liked what Vrabel did you know, pulling him from yeah. the game at that juncture. I was confused when it happened, right? I'm like, this is the second play of the drive, right? Like he, he, did he put get... him out there for the third quarter. Yeah, uh, the question is, did he get hurt? Because yeah, usually like, if you get pulled mid-drive, like that's- Especially after hurt. a 20-yard run, right? Like, did he right. pull a hammy? Like, what What happened? Like, Logan Woodside just came into the game in a very abnormal juncture. Um, you know, Vrabel said what he said. He pulled him for not throwing the football. Desmond Patrick was wide open on that play. Right. He, he yeah. should have thrown it to Des. I don't even think his eyes ever made it to Traylon Burks, who was also, right. as you said, open streaking down. I think it was the left sideline. So that's an issue. Right. And I wrote an article on it again. So I think, you know, some of our listeners may already be familiar with how I feel. But um, now's the time to break these bad habits. Right. So I kind of liked the message that Mike Rabel sent by pulling and Rabel even said, I think, you know, somewhat slyly, I bet he'll throw it next time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Now, now, now that we kind of quote unquote, you know, uh, air quotes punished him, right. For not throwing it. Right. And that's kind of, it kind of was a punishment, right. Pulling him from the game for not throwing it. Uh, I got into a pretty good argument with this, with one of my draft network colleagues that had all our, uh, my, my draft network colleagues had all our, uh, you know, fellow coworkers laughing as we were on a zoom meeting, yelling at each other, uh, Damian Parson, who, who didn't like the move by Mike Vrabel, who said, uh, how's he going to learn? He's going to learn with reps, you know, let the bullets fly, yada, yada. And I also get that side of the, of the argument uh, to an extent, uh, but I did think what Vrabel uh, did made sense. And I do think that's how you're going to break some of these bad habits, right? By showing him that he can't get away with those habits. So uh be really interesting to see if he shows any growth, uh, you know, couple practices coming up in Tennessee against Tampa Bay Buccaneers who, yeah, you know, they won't have guys like Tom Brady and, and, and Mike Evans, but that doesn't really impact Malik Willis, right? They've got a bunch of great defenders uh, on that side of the ball. Hopefully they will practice 
I get to Titans pass rushers like Shaq Barrett, guys like Vita Vea, uh, Joe Tryon, Shoyanka, second-year edge rusher who, who I'm high on. So hopefully uh, we get some you know good info coming out of those practices. Hopefully they're competitive, even without, again, guys like Brady and Evans. Julio Jones is practicing, by the way. Yeah. So we will see Julio Jones for the first time ever on a Titans practice field. Uh, oh, stop it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I couldn't, couldn't hold that one in, but – no, hopefully we learn some good things leading up to, I think it's, is it Saturday's uh, week two game against Tampa Bay? Saturday, six o'clock central time kickoff uh, in Tennessee against Tampa Bay. Buccaneers defenders have, you know, there's some good secondary players over there too. Carlton Davis, Antoine Winfield Jr. And oh, yeah. it'll be interesting not only to see how Malik and Logan Woodside compete Logan against Ryan. those guys, Bay. Logan Ryan's in Tampa Bay now. But it'll also be interesting to see how the receivers compete against those defensive backs. And I want to touch quickly on our rookie receiver battle because Kyle Phillips, obviously drafted much later than Traylon Burks, was only out there for three offensive snaps. On one of those offensive snaps, he fell down and almost caused an interception that um, was fortunately dropped for the Titans by Baltimore Ravens defender. And then Traylon Burks is out there for 30 snaps, only targeted once. It was the deep shot down into the end zone that was slightly underthrown. He tried to make a play on the ball, couldn't quite bring it in. He had a four-yard carry on a reverse that he wasn't able to make anybody miss on the play. Um, So not exactly the most promising start for Traylon Burks, but we did mention he was running open on a few plays, so it's hard to know what to make of his performance when he's not getting targets when he's open. Overall, what did you think of Burks? Phillips, obviously, with only three snaps, is an interesting like just a weird way to treat a fifth round rookie. I think you'd usually want to see more from a player like that, but maybe the coaching staff feels good about it and doesn't want to see him get injured. What do you make so far of the wide receiver competition, especially at the back end? And as it relates to that sixth spot that we expect might end up with Des Fitzpatrick or somebody else coming in to compete thoughts on that receiver. Yeah, I was trailing Burks. I wrote an article on this for the draft network and, I thought it was, a you know, not to pat myself on the back, but I thought I had a, a level-headed point of view, very similar to what you said. My major takeaway is you probably shouldn't have any major takeaways, right? Like I thought, <laughs> I thought, look, I thought Traylon Burks was at fault at times. I thought there were instances where he didn't get enough separation on certain plays. Um, you know, the concerning ability to separate from, from man coverage, I think popped up at times. Right. That was sort of mentioned on him throughout the pre-draft process. But on the flip side, as you said, we also saw him running open on several plays where it was mostly Malik Willis who didn't look his way. And that was another reason not to get into that. But I think Malik got pulled. Right. I think it kind of hurt their ability to evaluate their receivers a little bit. Right. Don't forget that. It's not just about the quarterbacks. It's also about evaluating the back end of the receiver room that we're currently discussing. So. I thought Traylon Burks, you know, pass protection at times didn't hold up. Quarterbacks, uh, Malik Willis mainly, didn't look his way enough, struggled going through progressions, trigger shy. There's just a multitude of factors, some that involved Traylon Burks and others that didn't involve Traylon Burks that really prevented us from getting a good, solid overall read on him. So not a lot to take away. Hopefully we learn more about him again throughout this week of practice with Tampa and, and in that second preseason game coming up against the Buccaneers. Kyle Phillips playing three snaps, I thought was certainly strange. He slipped on one of his, like one of the first plays of the game, right? Where Malik Willis yeah. did throw the ball in his direction, probably should have been a pick six. So part of me questioned if he got hurt on that, or if there was like, oh, you know, something was minor, you know, I felt something and that's why they pulled him. But he didn't miss any practice to my knowledge, right? The following day, uh, days. So probably wasn't an injury scare, I do agree that it's pretty odd that he only played three plays. I know he's been so good at practice, yada, yada. Still a, a day three rookie you would think you'd want to see more on. Um, 
final thing I'll kind of say on, on back-end receiver battles, I mean, Racy McNaff just continues to solidify his spot, had that excellent 48-yard reception. Uh, I know it had some bad cornerback play, but I thought, you know, I thought Willis threw it towards the sideline away from the safety, right? I thought that kind of made sense. McNaff had to slow, sl- slow down slightly, right? It was maybe a little underthrown. Maybe if it's more on, on, on time and efficient, maybe he goes into the end zone, right? Maybe he streaks yeah. into the end zone on the play, but it was a huge play nonetheless. He also had a pretty good kick return, right? So it continues to show uh, how good he is on special teams. Again, that spot is getting safer by the day. I thought, even though he had zero receptions, interestingly enough, I thought Des Fitzpatrick, as you said, we saw him get open on a couple plates, right, where he wasn't targeted for whatever reason. It was probably a good showing for Des Fitzpatrick. So I, I think you feel a little better about him making a claim for the sixth receiver spot, assuming they keep six. I didn't see anything out of Joshua Malone in the second half, truthfully. Yeah. So if you're assuming it's Des Fitzpatrick versus Joshua Malone, I would say Fitzpatrick, despite the zero catch, has probably had a better showing than Malone did. Also, Reggie Roberson didn't play, right? Seems to have an injury he's working through, so that really hurts him in his claim for the six receiver spot. Cody Hollister also didn't play, right, um, uh, as he continues to nurse an injury. So feels like this is Dead Fitzpatrick's thing to lose right now. Brandon Lewis, who I think made two catches, was cut already. Uh, you yeah. know, Terry Godwin, you know, had a couple instances that were impressive. So perhaps he gets himself into the mix. But right now I feel pretty good about Des Fitzpatrick in that backup receiver bat. Yeah, I think he's comfortably in the lead there. And, and some other guys would really have to make a final, like a big push here over the last few weeks to get notice in that, in that spot, which is okay. You know, it's okay for the Titans to have their receiver group mostly figured out, um, there's still obviously going to be people who want Mason Kinsey on the roster, Josh Malone, Reggie Roberson, Cody Hollister. They're all in the mix to try and, and have a chance here. But right now, I think it, the best way to say is it's Des Fitzpatrick's job to lose, and we'll see if he can keep his his grip on that position. Speaking of being in the lead, I think that the right tackle battle, the left guard battle, the cornerback battle that we've been talking so much about is going to end up being a lot like less of a competition than we really expected. And we're going to have way more competition for the backup running back spots, the backup outside linebacker job, the backup wide receiver battle that we just mentioned. So let's talk about the right tackle, left guard, cornerback really quick. And we'll obviously start here with Dylan Radins versus Nicholas Petty Frere. Radins played seven snaps total in this game at right tackle. Um, he also played uh, at left tackle a bit, but at right tackle only played seven snaps on four pass plays. He allowed zero pressures. Meanwhile, NPF played 21 uh, snaps at right tackle. On 14 pass reps, he did allow one quarterback hurry, but I think just the discrepancy in snap count there, you know, this isn't like we want to see both guys play an even amount and then determine who's playing better. This looks like another situation where Raidens is comfortably in the lead at the right tackle job, even though there's been a lot of buzz out of camp about NPF potentially coming in to take that that position from him. What do you think there? I think I'm a little bit less sure than you are. I think the way I would frame this is a few weeks ago, I thought this thing was a battle at left guard and there was no battle at right tackle. And now I feel opposite of that, right? Where I feel Aaron Brewer is almost a shoe in for left guard at this point. All that's probably left is for the Titans to officially announce 
that he's their starting left guard. I feel a little bit less sure at right tackle, mainly because NPF is apparently coming on pretty strong. It doesn't shock me that he played more snaps than Radins, you know, being that he's a rookie. Even though Radins didn't play yeah. a lot last year, they obviously know more about him than they know about NPF because they've spent so much more time around him, right, in- including last season. So I still feel that this is probably going to be Radins starting at right tackle, but I do think that NPF has made a decent push, and I thought they both played relatively well um, uh, on Saturday against Baltimore. I feel that Ravens probably played a bit better, even though the sample size was so small. It seemed a bit cleaner, right, that NPS performance. So I agree that he continues to be the leader in the clubhouse. Uh, the reason I'm framing it this way is I feel left guard has all but been decided already, Whereas right tackle, uh, you know, maybe there's uh, another twist still coming here, although I, I, I do think it's it's probably going to be Raiders. Yeah, and I think just the fact, you know, talking about the left guard spot, that Brewer didn't even play at left guard in this game. He played a few snaps right. at center Great just to be, um, because Mike Vrabel said he wanted to see, you know, what that combination looked like and to know, to have confidence in your 8-0 lineman that you can take into a game. They just basically want to say, like, in the event of an injury, can Brewer move to center? Can Jamarco step in and play effectively at left guard? And Jamarco Jones played a lot of left guard in this game. Um, he played, well, I guess he played seven snaps at left guard in this game. Uh, same amount of snaps that Raidens played at right tackle. So they were on the same unit there with Raidens the at right tackle. first drive for the game, right? They both started. Um, right. They started, Jones that started at left guard, Raidens started at right tackle. And Mike Vrabel spoke about Brewer after the game and talked said the best thing he did in this game was the leadership he showed without Ben Jones out there, who is, you know, a tremendous leader for this offense and always getting the, the protection calls in and just being a, a guy who knows everybody's role on an, every offensive play call. Without him on the field, Vrabel said Brewer did a great job in that leadership role and helping with the protections. So that is another feather in Brewer's cap, I think, that even though he's going to be your starting left guard, the fact that he shows that leadership, that he knows the protections as well as the center does, means he's going to be better at his own job, and he can step over and play center in the event of a Ben Jones injury. So, yes, I think the left guard competition all but wrapped up. The right tackle competition, he is a bit you know, more of a competition, but still pretty much Raidens looks like the guy for that job. When it comes to cornerback, we've talked a lot about can Caleb Farley lock down one of these cornerback positions. I think that he absolutely has and will continue to do so. He um, he did allow two catches on two targets in this game, but for only 16 yards on 13 coverage snaps, I think that Farley had, you know, he's working back from an ACL. He's going to have some rust to shake off. He had a couple plays where he kind of slipped, breaking from his back pedal to break down field. Um, but those are things that'll come as he continues to learn to trust his surgically repaired knee. What did you think? Anything about Farley's, you know, performance here? Obviously, Roger McCreary didn't play, which is kind of disappointing that he wasn't out there to see what he could offer. But I do think that we're looking at a Caleb Farley, Christian Fulton, and Elijah Molden, who's back practicing, by the way, as your starting cornerback trio. Yeah, I'll, I'll focus more on, on Farley starting opposite Fulton. Uh, I do think barring health, and I knock on wood as I say that, um, that Farley will be the starting corner opposite Fulton week one. Uh, by, all, you know, by all accounts, he's been really good at practice, really good throughout training camp, recording a, a bunch of PBUs, is constantly on the field, hasn't missed any time, doesn't have the knee brace, as we said, as he continues to work back from the ACL. We thought maybe he could have made, you know, or, or tried to make a PBU on that one play 
in the Baltimore game, right towards the sideline where he kind of looks like he didn't trust the plant and he slipped a little and you would have liked to see him maybe get in the mix there and try to contest the catch point. But uh, we're kind of, you know, grasping at, at straws, right? I don't think it's a huge deal by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I do think he'll be the starter. I agree that it was a shame that McCreary wasn't able to play in this game. You think he'd probably be the one that could maybe push Farley for that starting job on the outside. I do think he has some outside-inside versatility, McCreary, just because he's so damn competitive and feisty and physical. Shame he didn't play. Hope he gets to play in the Tampa game. Uh, but, yeah, I, I do think this is, is, is very much – out of all the battles we've talked about, Farley, I'd probably put him on the same wavelength as Brewer in terms of how safe his starting job is. I think Aaron Brewer is your left guard. I think Caleb Farley is your cornerback too. And, and also another layer to this, uh, we're still awaiting word on, on the severity of the injury that Chris Jackson suffered in that game, right? He was quickly ruled out with a knee injury, usually not a terrific sign. We haven't heard anything uh, about season ending. Obviously the Titans are, are you know, are, are typically pretty mum on injuries of this nature. Uh, and, and, and maybe Chris Jackson or the Titans aren't big enough names to draw uh, national attention to that injury. Uh, but here's hoping that the Chris Jackson injury isn't serious. And we hope to hear more on that soon. Yeah, that's, that's totally true. I mean, he didn't have the greatest game, you know, he gave up that touchdown and that wasn't necessarily his best performance, but that doesn't mean we don't hope that he is perfectly healthy as soon as possible because he is a cornerback who knows the defense well, played good snaps for the team last year and, and the year before. And would make this roster. Like, and absolutely. Almost, almost certainly. Absolutely would make this roster. Um, there are a couple of position battles that I didn't necessarily see being super competitive, and they are going to turn out to be, I think. And that is what you're looking at with the backup running backs and the backup outside linebackers. So let's start with the backup running backs. Julius Chestnut gets the start in this game. Mike Vrabel said he earned that start. He did fumble very early on, but he came back, bounced back well, I, I thought, from it to make some plays. It, You know, this is a pretty crazy stat. He had seven carries and on those seven carries for 44 yards he forced four missed tackles that's a pretty good rate of forcing missed tackles um i think three of them may have come on one run but still that was a nice run out of the backfield where he's jumping through the tacklers and jumping around guys and picking up a, a huge chunk of yards and then you have hassan haskins come in didn't really show anything particularly noteworthy but he made a nice catch and run out of the backfield um, Jordan Wilkins had one carry for negative three yards. Trenton Cannon had one carry for negative four yards. I did think going into this preseason that Trenton Cannon had a pretty good shot to make the roster, at least as a kick returner and backup running back special teams guy. I'm not so sure that's the case anymore. I know Chestnut fumbled, and you don't—that's you know, something you just can't do as a running back. You know, can't turn the ball over. But overall. I don't know that Hassan Haskins, despite being a fourth-round pick, is in the lead for what would be, I think, the number three running back job after, obviously, Derrick Henry and Dontrell Hilliard. Yeah, I think one thing that was noteworthy is Hilliard didn't even play, right? And I, I yeah. don't think that was injury-related. So that that's a, quite the telltale sign, right, regarding how much they like Hilliard, assuming it wasn't injury-related. Um, obviously, the fumble felt backbreaking for chestnut right if it's like if it's one thing a udfa running back can't do it's fumble right and, and lose a fumble in your own territory right so that really right. hurt uh him i thought it in the moment i love and, and Vrabel praised tony dues running backs coach for putting him back in the game after that i thought that was awesome by coach dues good decision and what is chestnut doing that 29 yard run was excellent right it broke it broke it off the right side i believe it was um uh jordan roos Corey levin were in the game at that point i want to talk about both those players shortly but 
Uh, they, they helped uh, open up a huge lane. I can't remember who the right tackle is. I, I feel like it was NPF, but I, I can't say with certainty. I know it was Levin at center and Jordan Roos at right guard. Uh, but but that was an excellent play for Chestnut. I, I, I do think he looked pretty good. Again, uh, the fumble is just it, it's so bad, right, for a UDFA running back, in, in all honesty. But Haskins probably left some to be desired, right? Six carries for 19 yards, 3.2 yards per carry. Longest run of the day went for six yards. Obviously, he did add three receptions uh, for 29 yards, I believe it was. Uh, that was awesome to see. Had that uh, big gain in the second quarter from Willis. Where I thought it might have been Willis's best play at quarterback, by the way. It was, um, you know, where he stepped up in the pocket, made a good decision, hit his check down, and, and Haskins picked up a nice gain. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, Haskins left some to be desired, certainly. I thought Trenton Cannon... Looked, uh, you know, returned two kicks for a total of 50 yards, had a long of 26. Thought he looked pretty good returning kicks. Uh, I didn't have any qualms with, with how he looked on special teams. Uh, one thing I will say is Racy McMath had one kick return for 30 yards, right? So obviously, if you're comfortable putting McMath back there, um, it probably hurts uh, Cannon's, uh, you know, uh, job security a little bit, right? Because you know McMath's going to make this roster. So if you can pull double duty as a receiver five, kick returner, um, obviously a, a gunner on special teams, uh, maybe it hurts Cannon. But for all, you know, I thought Cannon, I, I just want to say, did look good returning kicks in this game. So may have helped himself a little bit. Yeah, maybe he did. Um, but I do think that, you know, it's going to be a numbers game, and I think it could depend on if they do keep two versus three quarterbacks, how many running backs can they keep? Right, exactly. Do they count as a running back or a special teamer in the eyes of the coaches? So it'll all come down to that. But I will say I wasn't expecting Julius Chestnut to even be in the mix, and right now he might be in the lead for RB3. So we'll see how that continues to unfold. Last thing I want to talk about here before we wrap up is the outside linebacker battle because this is another one that I thought, you know, you had your – Obvious starters in Bud Dupree and Harold Landry, and then your obvious backups in Ola Adani and Rashad Weaver. But now I'm starting to think that, you know, they're going to have to keep more than four outside linebackers. And who's going to be the fifth guy? Do they keep six? They maybe only keep five. But David Aneni had what may be considered as much, as close to a breakout game as you can have as a UDFA in the preseason. Aneni was on the field for 13 pass rush snaps. He rushed the passer 13 times and came away with two sacks on those 13 pass rushes. That's a pretty incredible sack rate. Um, Ola Adani also had a nice game out there, constantly getting pressure. Rashad Weaver, 20 pass rush snaps, had two two hurries on 20 pass uh, pass rush snaps. That's not the easiest thing to say quickly. Um, but what do you make of? I mean, Adani is just a guy who. Sorry, a. a a ninny, I mean, it's kind of similar names. That'd be funny. We, we, they both got to be on the field at the same time, a Danny and a ninny. But anyway, David and ninny out there, just um, better than I expected him to be. Uh, what did you think about that? I really liked Anini coming out of Houston. I featured him on my Draft Network interviewing series. You can still go read that interview with David Anini on the Draft Network I did right before the draft. Two sacks. I mean, what a way to show out, right? Mike Rabel said after the game, he's probably earned himself some more reps. Yeah be interesting to see if he can carry that momentum over to the week of practice against Tampa. And of course the game against Tampa, I think he'll, he'll probably play more snaps in that game. Um, I'm still torn. I don't, I'm not convinced that they'll carry five outside linebackers. So I do think Ola Adani and Rashad Weaver are pretty much shoe-ins to make this roster. Weaver had that big tackle for loss in the backfield. Rabel praised him at practice the other day, said he's one of the hardest workers on the team. I think Adani is safe. So again, for Anini, it probably comes down to will they keep five outside linebackers? That may factor, that battle may directly correlate with how many defensive linemen they keep, right? I had previously thought they might keep six. 
Now I'm starting to think they might just keep five, right? So if they only keep five, perhaps you find that extra roster spot for David and Ninny. So really curious to see how this thing plays out. Yeah, just to my last note there before we talk, I, I did say that was our last thing, but we're also going to talk about the punter battle because it's actually interesting. Looking at pro football focus grades here, I know these are not everything and a lot of people have different feelings about them, but pass rush grade, David Anini, 91.6. Anything above 90 is considered an elite grade, so really fantastic grade from him. Maybe that is boosted heavily by two sacks, but hey, when you get two sacks on 13 pass rush snaps, you're going to get a high grade. And then looking at PFF's win percentage, which is percentage of wins versus blocking on pass rush snaps, Ola Adani led the Titans uh, outside linebacker group with a 30% win rate. David Anini right behind him with 28.6. And uh, continuing down the list, Rashad Weaver, 27.3. Um, Justin Lawler, 20.0%. Sam Okainanu, 16.7%. And finally, um, Demarcus Walker finished uh, with just a 14.3% win percentage there on pass rush snaps. But Walker, um, you know, a bit of a tweener, only played 11 pass rush snaps, didn't play as much. We'll, we'll rush inside more than outside maybe. But interesting just to see that Ola Adeni getting pressure and David Anini right behind him. Uh, any final thoughts on that before we talk about the punters? No, I think I kind of said all I, I need to say. One thing I'll, I'll, I'll add about the D-lines quickly was I thought Jaden Peavy was the best UDFA D lineman in the game, had a pass bat down on a third down uh, in the red zone. That I, I think it was in the red zone. It forced the Ravens field goal nonetheless. So that was really huge by right. TV. I also thought he did some really good work in the run game. So I'm starting to think this could be an Anini versus PV battle going on. If they, do they keep an extra outside linebacker? Do they keep an extra D lineman? I think that's something worth monitoring. Yeah, definitely. Um, now I'll quickly talk about, the UDFA punter Ryan Stonehouse came up, uh, punted a few times against Brett Kern, who also punted pretty well in this game. Do you think Stonehouse is doing enough to unseat the incumbent here and make a chance to make this roster, uh, given Kern's age and salary? I think that's pretty much the only reason that he would be unseated is that, he, you know, John Robinson says we're always trying to get younger and cheaper. Stonehouse is younger and cheaper than Brett Kern, but is he good enough to take that job? What do you think? They were both excellent in this game. Brett Curtin punted three times for a total of 162 yards. That's an average of 54 yards per punt. He had a long of 58 yard, a 58 yard punt from Kern, two of which uh, he placed within inside Baltimore's 20 yard line. Kurt, Kern was terrific in this game. Ryan Stonehouse came in, was also very good. Two punts for 118 yards. Had a team high 60 yard punt, right? Had a touchback, which Kern did not. Also placed, again, that's within the uh, place Baltimore within the 20 with that punt. Thought they were both really good. One thing for Stonehouse, I, I think that could have slightly hurt him, not being talked about enough. Brett Kern's a really good holder. They're very familiar with Kern as a holder for Randy Bullock, who was great last year. Stonehouse held for Randy Bullock at Monday's practice. Bullock went five for eight on field goals was the worst day Bullock has had. That is significant. With how much overturn they've had at kicker, I, I, I don't know that you want to mess with the holder too much. So that might be a victory in Brett Kern's favor, but this thing continues to be worth watching. Yep, absolutely agree. Um, all right, Titans will practice against the Buccaneers this week. I believe those are Wednesday and Thursday. Am I correct in saying that? I believe that's correct, leading up to Saturday's game. Before we get out of here, uh, I'm going to fire off, quick round off. Guys, three guys we didn't talk about enough. I was in, pretty impressed with it Saturday's game. Corey, uh, or during the Baltimore game, Corey Levin at center, thought was really good. 
think he's probably got a, uh, a really good uh, chance to be a backup interior lineman on the final 53. Loved what Corey Levin did out there. Thought Jordan Roos was pretty good at guard as well. I also thought Xavier Newman-Johnson was the best UDFA lineman in this game. They got a bunch of UDFA offensive linemen. Really thought Xavier Newman-Johnson stood out to me. Jordan Roos liked him too. Really interesting battle potentially going on between the three of those players, probably for just one roster spot. Guys, I didn't see enough from, I, I thought the UDFA D lineman outside of PV, Sam O from Maryland, I didn't see enough from. Haskell Garrett from Ohio State, I also did not see enough from. Justin Lawler was not very good at outside linebacker, did not set the edge in the run game, did not get enough pressure. Uh, those are a couple of uh, maybe five or six or seven guys I just rounded off that stood out to me for varying reasons, whether good or bad. Nice. Well, thank you for rounding that up. Those are the playmakers or the underrated players that we didn't talk about there and some guys that maybe need to be better, but they will all have another chance on Saturday. Again, six o'clock standard time kickoff against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady will not be participating. He's away from the Bucks for personal reasons right now. So no Tom Brady this week. No fun Mike Vrabel, Tom Brady interactions coming out of the joint practices, which, you know, we're all going to miss that. But we won't miss our next episode. We will be back next week to discuss the Buccaneers game and where things stand with the roster. Titans are cutting down to 85 later today. So check our t- Twitter timelines for updates and thoughts on that justin at justin m underscore nfl i am at titans film room and we'll be back next week until then you guys stay safe out there and tighten up a broadway sports media production